Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Um, Barry and his family have enjoyed a few days in Chelan, and they are actually on their way back now, at least Barry is, so that he can um, officiate at Barb Wilkinson's memorial service this afternoon. So, um, yeah, so that will be, it'll be good to see him, and hopefully he's had a good time with his family. So we finished up a series last week, focusing on the first three chapters of Genesis, And so this is kind of an in-between Sunday as we start another series next week. And so that always means that whoever's preaching kind of gets to decide what they want to preach on, which sometimes is very liberating and other times is very daunting if you can't come up with something. But what I um, came up with was just the need for us to acknowledge grief and how grief is a part of our lives. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. So this week, September, fall, is often um, the beginning of new things. So here at North Sound, the discipleship class began. Um, The children are moving into a new curriculum. Pastor Robin's going to take our youth through Youth Alpha. So there's new and good things happening. For me, on a personal level, my daughter, Kara, who lives up in Bellingham with her husband, Ricky, um, she's starting a master's program at Seattle U. In fact, she just started last Wednesday. And so that means that three days a week, she's going to be spending time in our house as she is a lot closer to Seattle U from where we live than um, Bellingham. And so this is a new thing for her, and it's a new kind of a new thing for us to have an adult child move back into our house, at least for part of this season, part of the week. And so it's a new beginning for her. We look around, the weather's cooling down, and so in the morning, the theme is layering so that you don't roast by the end of the day. And for most of us, we're cautiously optimistic that the pandemic is actually over, even though we probably each can name someone who either has it or is just getting over it. And so we're beginning to make those plans that maybe we've put off for um, the last couple years. For some of us, though, this season may mark the end of things. My, My brother died in 2015 in November, and then the following year, my mom spent September at Krista in the nursing care center before dying on October 4th. And so as I drive by Krista and those big, beautiful maple trees are turning colors, I'm reminded that my mom is gone. Some of us have lost loved ones recently, or maybe not so recently, but we feel the grief of their absence deeply. With fall coming, the days shorten, and for those of us who don't enjoy driving in the dark, our active hours begin to shrink. Some of us are seeing kids or grandkids off to school, which makes them busier and less available to us to hang out with them. The rhythms of life go up and down, making their way around the year schedule in similar ways, but sometimes in very different and unexpected ways. 
We all experience the rhythms, but all in different ways. Thank God that he is always with us, present to us just as we need him to be. And thank God that he invites us to community to share together the joys and the sorrows that accompany life. So this morning, I want to visit grief with you. Grief is the emotion that accompanies loss, whatever that loss may be. And we've all experienced it. Loss is painful, whatever the degree to which we have experienced it. So it's no wonder that we resist it, especially when it's imposed on us involuntarily. But loss is a common human experience, and so is grief. So what I want us to spend time pondering this morning is how we are doing in recognizing our feelings of grief. I want to invite us to accept God's invitation to grieve and to create space to grieve and trust that God is present in our grief to comfort us as we practice rituals that draw us to him even as we are experiencing sorrow. So first of all, God invites us to grieve. So let's look again at Matthew 14, our text. So at the beginning of this chapter, Matthew relates the gruesome details of John the Baptist's death. In verse 12, the disciples of John retrieved the body, his, his body, to be buried, and then they went and told Jesus. Now remember that John was not just the one who came before Jesus preparing the way, but he was also Jesus' cousin once removed, as Mary and Elizabeth, their mothers, were cousins. And so Jesus lost not just a fellow, sir, fellow soldier, um, but also a family member and a friend. So it's no wonder that in verse 13, it says that when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there to a deserted place to be alone. He was experiencing grief at the loss of his friend and family member. For some of us, being alone may not be the first place we turn to when we grieve. But in time and at some point, we will find ourselves alone to face our grief without distraction. It always catches up with us. Jesus, God in the flesh, showed us the heart of God, a heart that is moved by loss and grief, even though he knows the end of the story. Grief was not taboo, nor did it show a lack of faith, but it demonstrated that human loss carries with it grief, and it is felt and it can cause us to desire to withdraw to a lonely place. So how do you respond to your own experience of grief? We hear a lot of things from others when we're grieving, and we say a lot of things when we're grieving, trying to fill that awkward silence with words that we hope will help. He's in a better place. God needed another angel in heaven, so he took her. We will see them again soon. It must be God's will. Time heals all hurts. Don't feel bad or sad. Leave your grief at the door. This is a time of celebration. Time heals. All things work together for good. 
For we as Christians, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. And while some of these sentiments are true, or at least to a degree they are true, they do not echo an invitation to grief. Just because we believe in the loving presence of God, it doesn't mean that we will never have moments of being angry with him, or feeling abandoned by him, or even feeling numb towards him. And the reverse is also true. Our open and honest grieving with all the emotions of anger, abandonment, and aloofness towards God does not cause him to withdraw his loving presence until we can pull ourselves together or pull ourselves out of it. The psalmist David knew this when he wrote in Psalm 139, if I say surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light to you. God is comfortable with us even in the darkest night of the soul and the darkest places of our grief. David goes on to express in other psalms feelings of anger, disappointment, and abandonment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In another psalm, he says, out of the depths I cry to you. He also says, how long, O Lord, will you utterly forget me? David, who was described as a man after God's own heart, knew that God has room in his heart for us even when we're grieving. How easy is it for you to grieve, to be inconsolable, to lean into your sorrow without giving yourself a timeline to get out? There are other losses besides loved ones that invite grief, certainly. During this pandemic, the experience of grief was prolonged for us in that we didn't know how long it would be before we got back to normal, and we didn't even know what normal was. Right now, many of us are grappling with the reality that things will never be the same. We've lost financial security, we've lost community, or a clear sense of what's ahead. Not to mention, we've lost friends and family. All this, a continuation of the grief that we carried through the pandemic. It's grief that we've been holding on to for a long time. This pandemic grief is also collective, as this is a grief that is felt not just by you, but by your neighbors, by our city, our county and region, our country, and the world. We can't get away from it. We are all in this together, and we share in one another's processing of grief through what we read and watch, what we see on social media, and what we hear from those around us. And this grief is also compounded. There's a layering of grief and loss. Our health or the health of others, the things we like to do socially, our income, our identity, our places of ritual, and our convictions around how things should be in contrast to how they are. These all invite grief, and that grief has layers. It can play out in our lives in a number of ways. Depression, lack of energy, a low-grade anger, isolation, overreacting, not able to sleep, or able to sleep all day, and a desire to sleep all day. 
and then repeated behaviors and addictions. And when we don't give ourselves permission to acknowledge and begin to name the loss that we are experiencing, it begins to leak out in other ways, in anger toward our neighbors, whoever they may be, in seeking to blame others, in self-preservation, in lashing out at others, in anxiety and fear. All these emotions and reactions can find themselves rooted in unresolved or unacknowledged grief. And God invites us in this to hide away like Jesus did and grieve wholeheartedly so that we might come into community wholeheartedly. And so that leads us to the second invitation in grief. God invites us to create space for grief, ours and others. As we continue to read in this passage, we see that the crowds found him in his hiding place. Verses 13 to 14 says, Now when Jesus heard of John's death, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And he had compassion on them, and he cured their sick. Perhaps when they had heard that John had died, in their own grief and disbelief, they were scrambling to find their new teacher and to be reassured that Jesus was still for real and that he was still truly the Messiah. And so when he saw them, even though he was in the midst of his own grief, Jesus had compassion on them and he tended to them. The time that he had spent tending to his own grief before the Father gave him the capacity to create space for others who were also grieving John's death. He cured their sick and he fed them. Basic needs met in the space that he created for them out of compassion. So even when the disciples were ready to be done, Jesus continued to care for the crowds and feed them. It says in verse 15, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. And Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Jesus invited his disciples into that space of serving as well not because they had all the resources that they needed in that space, but because Jesus could take what they did have and multiply it to nourish the crowds and themselves. When we stop to acknowledge the underlying grief that we are experiencing and to embrace it as part of humanness, we can begin to find healing and the comfort of God in the deepest places in our lives. And we can also extend to others the same compassion to those around us with the help of the God of all comfort. At the end of the day, though, he did send his disciples on again, and then once the crowds were gone, he went again up to the mountain to pray. This is an encouraging example for us to see that Jesus experienced loss and made time to grieve with God. It's interesting, too, to see how his time of grieving was interrupted by the demands of his life and ministry. 
And I think that when we are in the midst of experiencing grief, we too can be interrupted and even distracted by the daily life. And unfortunately for us, we never get back to processing the grief that our losses have caused. Jesus gave himself permission to grieve. His expression of grief didn't diminish his lordship or deity, but it rather it reflected it. Why wouldn't God grieve the death of one of his children on earth? It didn't change who God is or alter Jesus' purpose on earth. Grieving is not the same as rejecting God's will or promises. It's not an expression of a lack of faith. It is rather an expression of love and being loved, acknowledging that to the extent that we love and are loved, we will grieve. As Jesus showed us, grieving is a human response to a loss of any kind. God, in his love and compassion for us, invites us to grieve and to create space for others to grieve. So how do we create space for others? It can feel awkward because we don't know what to say. It can stir up our own grief over losses that we've experienced. It has a way of pushing us off balance, and we only want to get back to a place where the mood is much lighter for our own comfort and safety. But to create space for others is to step into their experience with empathy. Brene Brown has written much on empathy in her research on human behavior and resilience. And she writes, empathy has no script. There's no right way or wrong way to do it. It's simply listening, holding space, withholding judgment, emotionally connecting, and communicating that incredibly healing message of you're not alone. She says in another place, we need to dispel the myth that empathy is walking in someone else's shoes. Rather than walking in your shoes, I need to learn how to listen to the story you tell about what it's like in your shoes and believe you even when it doesn't match my experiences. I think this poem by Patricia Runkle speaks well of our invitation to accompany others through grief. When you meet someone deep in grief, slip off your needs and set them by the door. Enter barefoot this darkened chapel, hollowed by loss, hallowed by sorrow, its gray stone walls and floor, you, congregation of one, are here to listen, not to sing. Kneel in the back pew, make no sound, let the candles speak. Experiencing our own grief and companioning others through grief is not a left brain activity. There's no right and wrong in this. It engages our right, our right brain, our emotions, our bodies, our reactions, our responses to what is happening around us. It invites presence. It invites self-awareness. And it can be disarming. 
In our times of grief, it's helpful to have touch points, places where we remind ourselves that even in the chaos of our disrupted normal, we are still rooted, anchored, and protected by God. We can remind ourselves of this through spiritual practices. And so, how do spiritual practices help us create space? Rhythms and practices in our lives help to root us and to anchor us. When life broadsides us, our rootedness in God helps us to bend in the wind of the trials, but not break. David the psalmist says in Psalm 27, One thing I asked of the Lord, this I seek, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. The spiritual rhythms and practices that we cultivate in our lives before any trouble finds us deepens our roots in God so that we know him and his closeness in the difficult times. We will all experience days of trouble, and we are all invited to join David in cultivating a relationship with God now that we can lean into when we need it most. Maybe when we think about those practices, what immediately comes to mind is scripture reading and prayer. And those are good practices. But sometimes in our grief, scripture can become dry and prayer can feel impossible. And so it's good for us to recognize that our rhythms and practices change during our lives, and that includes our spiritual practices. As a practice, I like to walk two miles and then run two miles. But recently, I injured my calf muscle, and I had to stop running and could only walk. And of course, I wanted to run, and so while I was partially healed, I started running again, only to damage it again and have to start over again. We have to change our practices sometimes so that we can heal. Sometimes our fallbacks just aren't going to help. Jesus reminded the Pharisees when they questioned him about the Sabbath that the Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. And so it is with all our spiritual practices. Like a trellis, they are designed for our health and our growth, not for the benefit of the practices themselves. A time of grief can disrupt us, and the practices that were once life-giving may not help. Uncertainty, anxiety, inconvenience, and isolation can drain us and discourage us. And so we may need to find more practices that we can do with others. Or we may find that we need more practices that we can do in solitude. We may be surprised also by the things that create space for us to grieve and to experience the comfort of God. When my father-in-law died back in 2010, my husband would go up to Mount Vernon every weekend, and he would work in his shop. I called it making sawdust, 
But what was really going on was it became a place of grieving and healing for Glenn. This weekend, even for me, needing to practice what I preach, I began a collage to remember my mom, who died six years ago. And as I started putting torn paper of red onto the the canvas, I remembered red was her favorite color. I'm going to add hymns that I know she loved. I remember standing next to her and listening to her sing harmony with such confidence and joy. And so I'm going to put that on. That is my space where I get to finally, after six years, begin to process that grief and loss for my mom. Maybe walking is a practice that draws you to God, or maybe listening to music or to poetry, maybe even for the first time, something you've never done before. These kind of practices engage our whole body, and scientists will tell you that emotions like grief impact body, mind, and emotion. And so the point is not to abandon forever the tried and true practices maybe in your past and then commit to a whole new trellis of rhythms, but just to be mindful enough to honor where you are at now and how God might be inviting you to experience him in new ways, especially when you're grieving. And so what is it for you? What does spaciousness look like for you in your life, even if you are in the midst of grief? How are you creating space for others to grieve? Not because it's easy or comfortable or fixable, but because we are encouraged to love one another and to bear one another's burdens. And in that bearing trust that in the darkness of our grief, God is present inviting us to feel the deep pain of grief that reflects love and to trust, sometimes with the help of friends, that God's right hand will hold us fast. So in closing, if we go back to that trellis and imagine a vine at the peak of the season, heavy and laden down with the weight of the vines and the fruit, that is when the trellis is most needed. Grief can feel like a heaviness, even unbearable at times. And it is in those moments that the rhythms of our lives that create space to grieve also open up space to experience God's presence and comfort. Not to hurry us along, not to trivialize our loss, but to bring his arms of love and care around us and hold us fast. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you that grief is a human emotion and that you experience grief as well. Thank you that you are big enough to hold the weight of our grief, that you are patient with us. Thank you that you invite us to solitary places And thank you that you invite us to community as well so that we can process our losses, express our grief, and find comfort in one another. 
God, I pray that as you go with us today, you will give us ways to touch base with you around our grief and to find you to be the great comforter. Help us to look for those in our lives who need the encouragement as well. And we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.